Welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we're talking about Gaspar Noé's new film, yes. Vortex. I'm always keen to see Gaspar Noé films, even though I have missed a couple of his mm. recent ones. Uh, we didn't see Lux Eterna, which was his last, which was 50 minutes. So not quite a feature, but still, we missed it. Yes, we missed it. I don't know why we missed it. I mean, maybe it didn't show around town, actually. Maybe. normally I would have gone to see it. Really. Yeah, well, this one didn't show around town. We had to go to the Warwick Arts Centre to see it. We had to go to the new Warwick Arts Centre. And I want to say, I want to say mm. something about that, actually, because it's fabulous. Yeah, so mm. it used to have only one screen. Now it has three. The seats are super comfortable. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. And the screen was enormous for what was, in fact, a little maybe 100-seat cinema or even a 50-seat cinema. Yeah, it's a small... It was a very small cinema. We may have been in the small... We were in screen three, which I suspect would make it the smallest one. That's right. Um, Small auditorium. But, yeah, you're sat very close to the screen. It's big and bright and beautiful. I was... I had no idea they'd made they built a new cinema. Yes. I was blown away. No, I I didn't know that. I mean, I knew they'd renovated the art centre. That's been a project that's been ongoing for quite a while. But uh, I must say, I was like very uh, surprised that uh, mm. you know how good the cinema was. Yeah, surprised and very impressed, and yeah. it um, showed the film off to its best advantage. Mm. Um, so, yeah, like I said, we didn't see Lux Eterna. We didn't see. Oh, I didn't see Love. I think you may have seen it. Yes, um, but we saw Climax. Yes, which was twenty nineteen, uh, which we did on the podcast. This is has been touted. Vortex has Noé's most mature film. It's a film that doesn't have the fireworks and the uh, spectacle that I think you probably associate with him. Mm. You think about the kind of the imagery and the violence and the uh, explicit kind of imagery and things like climax and irreversible. Mm. And this doesn't have those. It's a film about two very old people in France. One's played by Dario Argento. Mm. The mother's played by Françoise Le Brun. Mm. Um, they're uh, around eighty years old. They're a very old couple. The mother is in the stages of dementia. Mm. The father is not. He's having to cope with it. Um, it reminded me very much, and I mentioned to you early on, it reminded me of that old couple in uh, Agnes Varda's Daguerreotype, mm. which we saw, mm. which was obviously a real-life couple. Mm. But, I mean, it really has that feel, especially early on when she leaves the house and he goes out looking for her, and, that, and the road has that same feel of Rue Daguerre, you know, because mm. it's in Paris. Also reminded me a little bit of uh, Haneke's L'Amour. Yes, um, L'Amour is an obvious mm. um, parallel, although I've not seen it, so mm. I can't speak too much on it, but maybe you, you know, how do you feel they, they compare? This well, is obviously a little they, bit more experimental. I mean, they don't. It's just, you know, the only way in that they compare, I think, is that it's about an old couple really yeah. dealing with frailty and death, yeah? Yeah. Um, the film is um, very much thinking about death from the beginning. So, so the film uses a, a central... Uh, kind of experimental technique, but I understand Noé also used in Lux Eterna, which is split screen. Mm. Uh, so although we begin with uh, regular widescreen shots of uh, the couple together enjoying a kind of breakfast and a coffee out on the terrace, we then see them in bed, waking up, and the shot is uh, top down on them, he on the left, she on the right, and a black line is drawn down the middle of the screen, and it splits the frame in two, and from the rest of the film, the, the frame is split in two. Yes. It never comes together again. I must say, I loved it. I didn't think it was a cheap trick. I thought it was also, you know, because the screens overlap, so it's, mm. you know, uh, so... So they're filming with two cameras simultaneously most yes. of the time. 
Um, and there are points at which you're following the two two characters completely independently. So you know, and sometimes he's on the left, sometimes he's on the right. Yeah, that's mm. not. It's not. Um, it's not patterned that way. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, they'll be in completely different rooms. But then they may end up in the same room together, and we're actually seeing exactly the same action from two different angles. Sometimes from almost the same angle. Yes, I mean, but sometimes it, it's seen. You know, like a, a, his hand reaches out, and you saw it appear. And you see it appear on the other frame. Yes. But deformed. So it creates this weird effect, right? Because I think the split screen here has a symbolic function. Mm. Yeah. Disease and old age has basically made these people into monads. They're all, they're each living in their own world. Yeah. That is now not really intersecting with the other. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Um, she certainly is. Mm. And he's kind of. Um, chasing her down and trying to keep on top of things, but also his frustration is really palpable and mm. very understandable. Mm. I think um, because you know he, he calls her mad at what she leaves the gas on and he smells it and manages to save the day and open the window, so nothing goes wrong. But he calls her mad. He says, "I can't even call you mad. You're worse than that." And it's kind of cruel. She is just forgetful, mm. but you feel the reality of his frustration. And but you feel it's quite sudden as well, yeah, that there had been a period where, like, you know, kind of as you age, you, you forget little things or whatever. But the film opens with the understanding that in the last three weeks, the decline has been precipitous. Yeah, and particularly with the involvement of the son, uh, played by Alex Lutz, who is someone I didn't know. Mm. And I found an immensely engaging and empathetic presence on screen. Mm. You know, you really feel he's going through his own problems um, he has a son with a partner who he seems to be separated at least, and something like that. And now he's dealing with his with his mother going through dementia, and his dad trying to deal with it. And he's suggesting we can put you into a home. I mean, the thing is, in the in those respects, the film I don't think goes any. I don't think the film encroaches upon any territory that you wouldn't expect it to. It does, you know, we maybe we could put you into a home. No, but we live here. It does, what if you have a fall? It, mm. You know what I mean? Leaving the gas on. I think these are kind of things you expect it to do. I don't think it surprises you. But everything it does is expressed very openly and, and played very, very earnestly. It surprises you with its empathy, which is not usual. From no way. From no way. And also, it surprises you with the objectivity, which is typical of Noé. Yeah, so the thing is that these are complex people. You see all of their faults. Mm. They, yeah, they're all vulnerable. They're all kind of have their own problems, it turns out. Um, they're not, yeah, they're not perfect, and, but they're not judged, yeah. Mm. Um, and you see them in their faults, really. But you also see kind of you know, the love that they have for each other. Um, and, and also the helplessness and the frustration that each have for the other, yeah? So I found it very moving. Yeah. I want to think about the cutting a little bit because it struck me early on. So the way that Noé cuts... I, I think this is actually true of all of his films, um, at least all that I've seen, is that he doesn't do hard cuts. Um, because a hard cut is about kind of maintaining continuity, really. Mm. So that you cut from here to a different angle, but the, but you're supposed to not notice most of the time, mm. you know, with with traditional cinema. Um, but his continuity comes through long takes, right? He yes. works in long takes. So when he cuts, he cuts with several frames of black before the next shot comes in, mm. as opposed to a direct 
one frame to the next cut. So you notice the cut. It's like mm. blinking, mm. right? Um, I mean, I have kind of a contradictory set of points on this because on the one hand, it's about, I think, disrupting continuity and about drawing your attention to the cut and kind of segmenting the the action that you're seeing. Um, on the other hand, in some respects, it actually helps continuity because it, it allows jump cuts to be used. So mm. a jump cut normally, you know, you cut from someone to a closer in angle, a closer in, uh, you know, zoomed in shot from the same angle. That would be very jarring mm. if you did it as a direct cut. But with a few frames of black in between, you don't notice it as much. Mm. It, again, it makes it like blinking. So actually, it allows you to use or get away with transitions that you wouldn't otherwise get away with. It's interesting the way he uses that. But he's, he's always, like I said, I don't think there's a single straight up hard cut it's always with these frames of black in between the George Center and even when you get to that slideshow that they show at the mother's funeral at the mm. end spoilers um you know even that all the shots in that uh, uh slideshow are separated by black frames i noticed mm. you know it's like it's 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 the way he works it's the way he he i don't know visualizes changing from one shot to another mm. when he can't, you know, kind of blend from one shot to another because obviously he's done long take, like irreversible, he's supposed to look like one long take all the way through and it uses invisible cuts and things. Mm. Um, what I found uh, interesting was the thematic things that, you know, she's a psychiatrist. So, you know, she's a medical doctor who is used to talking to patients about their minds and their emotional states. Mm. Uh, he's a film critic or a film writer, or a writer about film. Yeah, you see him involved with magazines. Yeah, the whole apartment is full of posters of Chandalu and Metropolis and Louise Brooks. And yeah, so he's a film person, mm -hmm. uh, someone who makes a living out of writing about cinema, right? Uh, and he's got this project which is about dreams. Yeah. Writing about film and dreams, he yeah. says, and he's going to call it Psyche. Yes. That's his latest book. So, you know, psyche, psychiatry, the mind, yeah, what happens when you lose it. Yeah, and then there's this whole thing that life is a dream within a dream and, you know, extra short for, for that. So I thought kind of, you know, all of that was very conscientiously kind of, you know, put mm. together and thought through and I wondered what you made of it. Yeah, the, f the film is wearing on its sleeve its themes, mm. you know, and it does that. Th I mean, I noticed it immediately when um, you get the two characters waking up at the start when we first encounter the split screen. And it's, it's a very slowly made film um, in which, you know, throughout many scenes, not very much happens. It's kind of pottering around or getting on with work, but it's about watching these two characters in their separate rooms or getting on with separate things. Um, so right at the start, the, um, the dad's asleep for a long time, the mum wakes up, we see her go to the toilet, put the coffee on potter around the place, and all the while the radio is playing some kind of, well, it's, I don't know what the equivalent of Radio 4 is in mm. France, but you know the mm. equivalent, um, a conversation about death and funerals. And, mm. So the film is keying you in immediately, mm. that you know this is what we're talking about, people coming to the, to the ends of their lives and how we deal with death, and the idea of the ritual, which is essentially ultimately foreshadowing, because we get to see that ritual at the end mm. played out when the sun... Um, speaks his mother's funeral and they take the time to remember her mm. um, I do sometimes feel with Noe that he, it, maybe it's just that I'm not I don't have all the right kind of contextual background in that he kind of paints his films with 
film references, like the posters of mm. Metropolis and so on. Um, and it kind of it's like it's no surprise to me that he would make this writer character someone who's writing about film, whose background is in film. That's just it's no way's interest, mm. and he puts that into his characters. I don't know how much I make of that. Oh, I would make a lot of it because it's very important. Yeah, I think you know. So um, these are basically two intellectuals. Yeah, uh, and the flat is full of books. There's books on the chairs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's kind of books everywhere. The father talks about his love of objects. I mean, kind of these are things that, you know, these are their life, right? Mm -hmm. He says. And so what is their life? You know, their, their life is books, yeah, and videotapes and movies, right? Like, yeah, so, and then objects that they've picked up on their travel, right? So I think... Uh, you know, all of those are like incredibly important. Uh, uh, the 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 posters that reappear over and over and over and over again is, you know, Infamous uh, Infam, the Godard film, Chandelou, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Metropolis. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of political posters as well. Mm. You know, about abortion and class struggle and unions. You see a lot of those. Uh, the songs are important, yeah, because I think um, Noe is Argentinian, so one of the songs mm -hmm. that uh, he plays is Gracias a la Vida, yeah, Thanks for Life. It's a political song from the 1970s. Mm -hmm. And, of course, um, François Hardy's song begins the film, yeah, with, uh, if I'm not mistaken, an image of François Hardy. Uh, yes, yeah, I forgot that, yeah. Uh, so, so all of those things are... You know, they evoke a way of life. Uh, they evoke a life. And actually, I, you know, I thought, well, for me, at least, it was kind of very p pleasing to see, you know, because basically, like, you see this bourgeois intellectual couple who made choices about art and politics, right? And at the end of their life, kind of, you know, the father says, we're a very, very small family, right? Like, <laughs> it's basically just you and me. And of course, kind of all of their friends and the committee meetings and the magazine, they all dissolve along with them. So at the end of the film, you know, this flat that they wouldn't leave because it's so full of their life and the things that gave meaning to their life and the memories of their life, mm. it all gets stripped down room by room. All these things disappear. Yes. Yeah. yes. Even his book, which is his life and he's writing it, you know, basically it all amounts to nothing. He dies. Yeah. Spoiler. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so I think the film raises this question, well, what is life? Yeah, what is important in life? What gives life meaning? It's this kind yeah, of... Yeah, there's a kind of depressive aspect. I mean, the title is Vortex, and the film is essentially saying that's where we're headed. And, yeah, these are people who, they get their funeral, but then they get, you know, interred in that mausoleum, they're urned, put behind... Yeah, um, think, and the son many, says, many others. Yeah, the son says, this is not a home. A home is where people live. Yeah, yeah exactly, for, for the living. For the living, yeah. Um, yeah, and yeah, it's, it's, a depressive, it's a depressive ending, I think, because, as you say, it has amounted to nothing. This thing will get stripped down. I almost imagined, I mean, I thought it would have been a sick joke if it had gone this way and it hadn't, but I almost imagined all those shots of the flat as it was being stripped down and stripped bare, you were going to end up with one that was like, it's listing on rightmove.com mm. you know like if well, someone else gets to... I mean I did wonder you know <laughs> about whether it went to the sun right uh, um, yeah well the sun is I guess the one clearing it out though we don't see that but no I but it's it become his responsibility is he going to you know is he going to shoot it up his arm or yeah like yeah. Uh, uh, 
But I think the film is very interesting in that you get to know very little about the characters. They're losing their mind. And as they lose their mind, they lose themselves and they lose their past, right? So, for example, what do you know about her? Not, not much. No. Yeah. We, we know what her profession was. We know what her profession was but, and that she can no longer exercise it, right? Um, but not who she was. And we know she loves her son. We don't know how she feels about the husband. Yeah, The husband, who's, who still has his mind, clearly loves her, right? But he's been having an affair with another woman for 20 years. What does that mean? Has she had other lovers? How has she felt about it? Mm. Has she thought of leaving him? Has she felt unloved? You never know that. And no. The film doesn't answer any of those questions. No, the film uh, lives in the present. Where these characters are as we know them now. Yeah. And that's it. Um, and from his perspective, he's selfish. And you can understand why he's selfish. You know, he's got a life that he wants, that he's got very little left of. <laughs> yeah. And that he wants to make the most of. So you can see why he doesn't want to go to a home, right? Mm. Um, I thought it was implied that he would be happy to put her in a home. Though actually, that's never clearly stated. It's not clearly stated, but I got the sense in that conversation with the, the son and the, and the wife that his objection to going to the home was that, was he that was I going. don't want to be in a home. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And ironically, he dies first. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Whereas if he had been in a home, yeah, he probably wouldn't have. <laughs> so um, so it's, it's kind of like, I mean, it's a film which, as you say, nothing happens. You know, and it's quite long. It's two hours and 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And I didn't look at my watch once. It held my attention throughout. I think I considered looking at my watch once, but I didn't. Yes. Um, But yeah, I mean, you do kind of... I I suppose I wondered where it was going, but I saw several possibilities as to how it would go. And I think the idea that these characters are both going to die is one that's very much... It's it's one of the clearest possibilities available at the start. It was the only ending to the film. I mean, yeah. you know, we knew they were going to die. The question is how, what, what would be the significance of mm. that? Uh, what would be the role of the sun in that? Because that was very interesting. That was much more interesting than I expected it to be. Mm. You know, and it had kind of heart-stopping moments. You know, that moment where, you know, because the son is an addict, yeah, coping with it, but still, yeah, Mm -hmm. in the throes of it, really. And he works, or he volunteers, uh, at uh, a clean... um, It's a place that helps people take drugs cleanly. Cleanly, safely. safely. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, there's a scene where he smokes some heroin, and as he's smoking it, you you see in the background the son who you thought had been asleep walk into the room. Yes. And you go, <gasps> he's checked that his son is asleep. Yes. So, you know, there's a, he's been responsible. Yes. The son's working up. And it actually reminded me of that shot in The Irreversible, the rape scene, mm. when you see someone at the back of that tunnel in silhouette mm. walk in, see what's happening, and, and leave. leave. And yeah. it's, again, that heart stopping, mm. you know, what could have happened, you know, mm. what didn't happen in that moment. Hmm. Yeah. So do I, you, I was going to say, do you think it's a hard watch? No. Mm, nor do I. Uh, I mean, you know, and actually, it's interesting because for me, Noé is by definition a hard watch. You know, irreversible mm. uh, is like, you know, I used to teach it. I mean, I've maybe seen it sixty times. 
there wasn't a time where I didn't recoil in horror at it. You know, like <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, um, it was like as difficult to see on the sixtieth time as it was in the first. Uh, I mean, fascinating for all kinds of reasons, but very difficult to see. Uh, and you know, I, f- I felt that to be true in all of his films, actually. Like, uh, mm. you know, uh, it's not singing in the rain. <laughs> <clears throat> but this is a film that's not that doesn't have that interest yeah. in visually giving you the. It's a different thematic, yeah. right? You know, it's about an old artsy couple dying, basically. <laughs> You know, so, you know, you can't bring out the fire extinguisher and bash somebody's skull with it, you know? <laughs> like, uh, 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 yeah, you know, uh, 25 years ago, you might have found a way to do that. <laughs> well, perhaps, but, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's kind of unflinching. It's very unsentimental. Mm. Uh, it doesn't romanticize it at all. No. You know, I like the way that it, 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 it complicates all of the characters. You know, you can see how the son is a, is a good man. He's a loving man. He's also an addict who's, who's kind of in treatment but struggling still, mm. right? You can see how the change in his identity where he says something like, I've been used my whole life to be the source of anxiety for them, you know, and it was like a surprise to find that, yeah, kind of now it's me kind of looking after them when I'm not mm. even capable of looking after myself, really. You know, so... His, his clear-eyed knowledge of his own situation, mm. yeah, and kind of the kindness with which he speaks to his parents, mm. yeah, uh, and the ease with which he speaks to street people and other addicts. I mean, it's a very complex characterization there, I think. Yeah, uh, he's a very appealing character. He's someone I kind yes. of like spending time with. I like, yeah, I think, if you remember The Father... Um, which was the Anthony Hopkins mm. film based on a play that had that antagonism that you get, I think, between frustrated children and the parent with dementia. Mm. Um, the uh, you know Olivia Coleman character, who's the daughter, um, getting frustrated with the dad. No, dad, that's not like that. And you know, this actually didn't have that. Really, it didn't have that. It had a lot of sympathy, um, which you could see maybe it's kind of patched. I mean, I did think about um, there were moments. I think like around the dinner table maybe with the son, the father and even the, the grandson there as well and the mum and they're talking to the mum trying to get her to, you know, who am I? Do, do you remember mm. me? And I'm thinking, you know, it, it's awful to put yourself in her shoes and think of the pressure that you're under. These people have these expectations of you to know them and to know things that you just don't because you're just confused and forgetful. Mm. And I, I felt incredibly sorry for her in those moments. Yeah. And actually, I think the way that she's played, she has almost no dialogue. She's, she's you know, it's not that she's non-verbal, but she doesn't speak much. Mm. Um, she's, as I say, kind of potting around a lot of the time and just kind of in this staring off into space kind of headspace um it's it, in some sense it's kind of an unforgiving sort of thing to be given to play it's it's almost one note but it's i, I found a she's play, great yeah uh and it's not one note i mean she, you know she's given no dialogue she's given no major scenes right so the greatness of her performance is in conveying the many different kinds and levels of confusion of yeah. not being quite there, or being there only momentarily, or of cluing in, or yeah, or of listening in ways that yeah, that you don't understand. So you know the way that she does that all throughout is really fantastic. I think. 
Dario Argento is obviously given a lot more to do. He, um, I mean, I've, I've never thought of him as an actor. I guess he must have acted in things before, but he's a director. And that's yes. what we know him for. I kind of wonder, other than kind of Gaspar Noé okay, being a huge fan and respecting this, you know, elder statesman of cinema, I wonder if another actor could have I liked played him. the role better. Maybe, but I liked him. Yeah. You can see his selfishness and, you know, um, and his interest and his passion uh, and his love. You know, you see that all very clearly. And his impatience, like the scenes with the grandchild at the table when the child yeah. was playing with the cars. Yeah. It's fantastic. I mean, I loved it. Uh, I thought when he collapses... And this is such a subtlety, but one that I loved because I think it's something that I've never seen in cinema before, and it's such a great thing to pick up on. Is is his breathing has that wheezingness at the end? Like, yeah, it's that two tone. You, yeah, you, you kind of try to breathe, but then also there's a that you're. That I thought your that chest was a does. soundtrack effect, but that works beautifully. Yeah, it's brilliant. I'm mm. not saying he's doing it, but it's it's just mm. it's a thing that the film has noticed mm. and put in place that is wonderful because not because that happens to me. Mm. And what you do is you go. And then you're fine. Yeah, you hit mm. your chest a few times, and then it goes. But he, I don't know he doesn't do it. He doesn't have the strength to do it. He's just in this wheezing mm. mode. And I think that's uh, again, I felt hugely empathetic towards that because it's just picked up on this very, very subtle, beautiful mm. thing that I noticed immediately. Mm. And God, I get how this guy is feeling inside right mm. now. You know, mm-hmm. great. Anyway, let's wrap it up. I highly recommend it. I thought it was absolutely marvelous. Yes, and in some sense, some sense is a, a big surprise from Noah because you know, as I say, you expect the drama, the fireworks. That this is uh, much more muted in those yes. respects, um, but a very interesting film. Very interesting, formally and thematically, and with some you know really superb uh, performances. Mm. All right, thank you very much for listening. We're eavesdropping at the movies, and we are on Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter at Eavesdrop Movies. And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.